0: You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the binge aftertaste.
1: I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all that bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Gear up, bingers. It's time for the Binge Movie Aftertaste. Fast and Furious Retrospective. Are you serious right now? Join Matt Garrett, and Alex, as they race through the entire franchise dedicated to fast cars and furious action. Stay the fuck out of my way. Where does each host come down on the series as a whole? Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You need that charming bitch. How has this franchise lasted this goddamn long? Y'all need a refill. This is serious stuff. Will the hosts hate each other like The Rock and Vin Diesel by this retrospective zen? Sounds like a marriage. Yeah, but with cars when you trade up, they don't take half your shit. Find out the answers to these questions and a whole lot more, all coming up courtesy of Binge Media. Ow! I smell.
2: Skanks.
0: Too Fast, Too Furious. Released June 6, 2003. Budget on this was $76 million. Box office of $236 million. And this was directed by the late, great John Singleton. Too Fast, Too Furious, Two Scripts. Why did I make that horrible joke? Well, after the success of the first movie, which made over five times its budget, Studio Greenlit a sequel. And because of that, they wrote two scripts, one with both Dom and Brian returning, and another one with solely Brian, just in case they were not able to secure Vin Diesel. So both of these fine gentlemen that we talked about in the first show, with me as always is the reliable Alex Moreno. What's going on, bud?
3: What's up, bruh?
0: Uh, take a drink every time we say brah and the roman to my brian
2: mr garrett collins and unlike vin diesel i am not too hard to negotiate with in order to get me on this podcast what's up guys can't complain so mr diesel let's talk about why he's not in this movie because
0: as i mentioned they wrote a script with him in it they really wanted him back and vin diesel was offered 25 million dollars to come back Wow! but he read the script said it was quote inferior to the first movie and chose to take his career in a new, new direction. He really thought he was going to be the next big thing. And let's be perfectly honest, he did have some pretty big projects coming up. He was going to kickstart what he called the James Bond of the 21st century with Triple X. Gotta remember when he said
2: that? Yep. Yes. Yeah, we covered that when we did Die Another Day. That whole deal <laughs> of him saying, it's not your dad's James Bond or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But he priced
0: himself out. So he was not back. So luckily, that second script that they commissioned got some work done. This time it was uh, Michael Brant and Derek Haas. So these two guys, they're not a whole lot to their resumes, at least at this time. The biggest thing is that one of them was the editor of the faculty, Robert Rodriguez's movie. But this was their first script that they did together. And this kind of launched their career because they went on to do the 310 to Yuma remake. They did the script for Wanted. They did the script for The Double, which less said about that movie, the better. But this kind of kickstarted their careers. And their pitch was basically they wanted this to evoke the quality of something. I shouldn't say quality. This movie attempted to (laughs) evoke the style and the, the vibe of Top Gun is what they were quoted as saying. Particularly with the action sequences. Oh boy. Do they succeed? Uh... Do they fail? Well, before we talk about the movie itself, we got to talk about the new director. Rob Cohen did not choose to come back. So they brought in Mr. John Singleton. Now, you could not go from Rob Cohen to, let's face it, was a workman, still is to this day. Then you get the guy who was touted by so many as the next big thing. He was the successor to Spike Lee, because Singleton's movie Boys in the Hood, which was about 10 years before this, he was 25 when he made that, or something like that. 24. Is still t- 24. Still to this day, the youngest person, I believe, to ever be nominated for Best Director, so there's no better way to make a splash with your name than directing a Fast and the Furious
1: movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, and let me get on John Singleton here for a little bit, because I believe this was before you came on board, Goudreau. Alex and Law had me on the binge cast. This was when movie homework was its own thing on the binge cast. We did a whole movie homework on Boys in the Hood. And I said in that podcast that I have so much respect for John Singleton. The year before Tarantino came and set the indie world on fire, he was my end to indie film. He was the one I was like, wow, there's something out there other than Star Wars and all these big budget things. Like this guy's doing good things. And I followed his career all the way to the end. Like I said, I have a ton of respect for him. And the fact that he was coming on board was kind of intriguing for me when I heard that he had directed this. And I read in interviews that he really did like that first one, and he wanted to kind of evoke things from his aesthetic as well as that first movie. And I was really looking forward to seeing what he could do with this franchise.
0: Alex, what was your reaction going into this when you heard John Singleton was going to do this? And obviously you liked the first film. Mm -hmm. Were you excited with a sequel, and were you... More amped that John Singleton was going to be behind the camera. Oh yeah, definitely.
3: But you know, at this point, two thousand three, this comes out. It was still a weird choice for me. It's th- it didn't really make sense even at the, at that time. He did Shaft in two thousand, and then Baby Boy in two thousand one. You know, Shaft a little more action oriented than Baby Boy is. Baby Boy's a little bit more of a drama. But I didn't see him. I mean, this is an over the top action movie with you know, if we go back to the first one with a lot of melodrama. And I just didn't really see that as being his strong suit, but was interested to see how he would approach it and would eventually look like.
0: Shaft, I think, was a big reason why he took this, because that was really his first exposure to what I would classify as a big Hollywood production. You could argue stuff like, well, Four Brothers was after this, but I think Shaft was the real shift in his career. You could say it put his career into a second gear, if you will. But... For me, I waited to see the second one right after I saw the first one. I I didn't marathon these or anything like that. But one of the big influences that Singleton said, he grew up in Los Angeles and he said that, you know, there were street races all the time when I was growing up. In fact, he said, when I saw the first movie, I was like, why the hell didn't I think of that? I could have made this movie. So he did have a passion for it. Like, this was not something that I think he took just for the paycheck. And and we can certainly talk about his style versus Rob Cohen's because I think yeah, these are sequels. Or these two movies are part of a franchise, but stylistically and tonally, there's some pretty big contrasts and there's some not so subtle ways that they act like the first film didn't happen. They make no attempt to mention Vin Diesel or Dominic Toretto whatsoever. It's almost like he never even existed. Like You could watch this movie independent of the first one.
2: Yeah, they make one reference to it mm-hmm. when they're leaving a police station, and that's really it. And, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that they had commissioned two scripts, and I read that too. But I tell you, man, the more I look at this movie, and Alex, see if you agree with me on this. Doesn't it seem like Dom was in the Tyrese role, and then they just kind of rewrote it a bit? I call bullshit on the two scripts thing. The reason why they call it two scripts is because Dom was in the Tyrese role, and they had to rewrite it. That's what I see this as.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I can totally see how Dom is in that role. But they backtracked it and had to do a lot of work on the introduction of Roman, the Roman character. Because, I mean, obviously that wouldn't make sense if that was Dom. But the later stuff, you know, the actual thing that propels the team to get together and accomplish this mission, that kind of screams Dom for sure.
0: The biggest thing they would have to change is Dom being in Miami instead of Mexico like the end of the first movie shows. Mm-hmm. And when I yeah. say the end, I mean the post credit scene that Garrett probably didn't see because I'm sure as soon
2: as <laughs> not. was done, he turned off the TV and threw his Blu-ray out the fucking window said, never again. I didn't know that you were doing Marvel cutscenes before Marvel was around. So oh, I, yeah. I, I had no idea about so that. Rob I will Cole, keep an eye on that now. I, I tried watching one for one in this one, but of course there isn't one. Oh, I Rob Cohen one, way
3: ahead of his time as far as that goes.
2: <laughs> so
0: you touched on Marvel. And one of the reasons I love this franchise is that it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe for frat boys. Because later on, they're going to play with chronology. You know, they're going to play with the timeline. and You're going to have characters showing up that like, wait, I thought they were dead. Or what's this person doing here? Oh, they've already met said person. They were ahead of the curve. They were doing big crossovers before Marvel even
2: entered the game. But their tight continuity matches saw in that everything's woven together. And you know what I call this mentality? I call this a Saturday Night Live mentality because, Alex, you know, when we grew up in the 90s, I used to watch Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you did. The Adam Sandler years, the Rob Schneider years. And, you know, there would be times, you know, before the internet and whatnot that celebrities would show up that you had no idea were going to show up. And it was like, oh my God. And people would just go crazy. That's people the kind of mentality eyes. I think of when I see franchises like this. People show up and it was like, look, it's her again. It's him again. That's mm-hmm. one thing I do remember about my binge of this series way back in 2015 was people show up that you thought were dead and it's all over the fucking place
3: (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely about spectacle yeah absolutely whatever that means i mean if it it could be other characters it could be actors actresses i mean we'll see as the franchise progresses like how big the stunts get it's just all about
0: spectacle speaking of big they doubled the budget compared to the first movie yeah that was crazy to hear 76 million 76 million without vin diesel to pay
2: Right, yeah, and he was asking for twenty five. That's insane. And I can see probably not affording Vin Diesel around this time, but are you saying that they couldn't afford fifteen grand to bring Jordana Brewster back? <laughs> like, what, where's she at? It's all about the time, because let's not forget that
0: Eva Mendez was coming off not just training day, because she has a pretty big role in that, but she also had all about the Benjamins. So she was on the up oh, and up. Oh, that's right.
3: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah.
0: She was a name at this point, much more so than Jordana Brewster was. I guess the mentality was, well, if we're not going to have Dom, we're not going to have a sister or his girlfriend. It's like they were stuck with Paul Walker. He's like that chick you see at the bar after, you you know, you've had one too many and all the hot ones have left. And, you know, one side, she looked pretty good. I wouldn't know about this because it's not my preference. I'm just drafting a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but the one where it's like, all right, I guess I'll go home with you. But reality, it's because you don't have any other choice.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's usually how it happens. You know, The lights come on at 2, 2.30 in the morning, and you're just
0: like, all right, who's left? Who's left? <laughs> Vin Diesel's career, he was trying to become a big star. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same cannot be said for Paul Walker in between the first one and the second one. He was at a standstill. I think the only uh-huh. thing he made in between was Joyride,
2: which I only was know because J.J. Abrams has was a writing credit. Fast-
0: was that before no, Fast? Was that before Fast? That was in bet- after
2: that. That was in was between. In between. One... Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember really liking that when I first saw it. I mean, I, I probably haven't seen it since it was out, but I didn't even remember him being in the lead role. You know, that's how memorable he was.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, speaking of memorable, let's get into this movie because I have a lot to say, and I have a lot to say right from this opening because you could not pick a tackier opening so than seeing the Universal logo morph into a hubcap. Oh. Ugh. <laughs> It's only equaled
3: Right away, by, man,
2: you're just not on a good foot. It's, uh, it, yeah, off. and
3: it's only equaled by how cheesy the end credits are, too.
2: Yes. Oh that, my that, was, yeah. that was
3: brutal.
0: In the same way that the first film could take place and be released in 1996, you could mm-hmm. tell this movie was the early 2000s because oh, yeah. they did not master CG yet. You mm-hmm. would get some really good stuff like Gollum. You would have those real breakthroughs. And then you have crap like Daredevil and Ang Lee's Hulk, mm-hmm. which both came out this year. There was almost no middle ground. And this looks like a cutscene from Need for Speed. When you press start at the menu, that's what this is.
3: Yeah, it, it, that, wow. yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, those early 2000s films, you know, you just mentioned Lord of the Rings with uh, the CGI with Gollum and just how they shot the film with some of the the bigger set pieces. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Angley's Hulk, but just because that tool is available, it doesn't mean you have to use it. Because I, I think that was a thing of just like, oh, you know, let's let's just fucking CGI it. And then you can see how bad that is. I mean, even then, it was noticeable. I
2: mean, for fuck's sake, it's definitely noticeable now. But you know what? We get past this. I want to give the movie a compliment because I'm sure that we're probably not going to be giving too many of those away in this podcast. But I want <laughs> to give one. Don't speak for I <laughs> I'm going to give it one right now. I dug this opening race quite a bit. I love the bridge jump. I love when they take the wide turns in this. This is the kind of stuff that I was expecting to get more of last week. Mm-hmm. And Singleton kind of delivers it in this beginning. I, I, I dug this way more than the beginning of the first one. I don't mind it either.
3: I hate the bridge jump. Just really l- logistically, it's stupid. It's a dumb idea. They're racing for what? Like, what do they say? Like a uh, 35 large or whatever. Yeah, for each person piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty big fucking pot that you use to fix your car. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like they just treat the cars like shit. But then they go. They show you how much care and attention to detail that they take on souping up the car and everything.
0: It's it's
3: a Mm -hmm. weird choice.
0: I don't like it. You know what really grinds my gears? The fact that you guys jumped so far ahead. So now all my prelude is going to be fucking pointless because we know how it ends. So fuck both of you. Uh,
2: Go ahead. Give your prelude. I'm sorry. I, I had to get into that because we were off on such a negative foot. I wanted to bring a little positivity here. But a negative footnote
0: for something that lasted 20 seconds. Hey, that's this
3: that's <laughs> the series. That's this franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> I
0: understand you uh, put so you, you, you I'm put sorry. some yeah, you put some work into it. But go, go for it. Uh, it's absolutely I didn't, I didn't very step on your toes. <laughs> no, I know. You did it to me for 6 years, so it's only worth it. it. <laughs> so we see a bunch of people getting ready for a street race. There's these people in the back of a truck bed that are putting up the road close signs and we're introduced to Tej Parker. Because Ja Rule wanted to be in this movie. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to come back. Singleton said Ja got too big for himself and turned it down. He turned down half a million dollars, which he only got paid Long 15 He only got paid fifteen grand for the first movie. So he's like, well, shit, what am I going to do? So he hires Chris Bridges, better known as Ludacris, who Luda. is not the star he is now. He was right. just starting his career, pretty much. I'm not even talking movies. I'm talking just his rap career. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it right now. A sentence I never thought I would say: Ludacris is the best actor in this movie. I was just gonna say that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I like him in this. I like, like him too. Like, I he's like, actually like one of the only people I like. He's got mm-hmm. screen presence. Exactly, you know, he delivers yeah. his
0: lines well. He's he's one of the only people that I find funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his his car jokes about his sex overdrive are a bit redundant after a certain point, but he delivers them well.
2: He's not over the top. Every single person in this movie is over the top. Yes. He's, not really that high strong. He brings some... Oh God, I hate to say this because it's fucking ludicrous, but it, he brings levity to this cast. I dug him quite a bit, too. Yeah,
3: he grounds it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, you're it's right. Like, it's a weird thing. I never thought I'd say that either. Yeah, I never <laughs> thought I'd say levity you know what? and ludicrous in the same sense. Yeah, Chris Ludicrous Bridges
0: say? grounds this film. What? <laughs> <laughs> he does ground it once he gets rid of that ridiculous afro. He has it just for this opening scene, and... This movie's chronology, you think it takes place within a couple of days. Yeah. So why did he shave the afro less than a day later when you just wake up and go? I guess the Miami humidity just puffs it up and he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to get rid of it. Probably, yeah. Where's that cut scene? <laughs> 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 that was the post credit scene. Ah, he shaved yeah. afro. <laughs> because let's not forget, these movies play with chronology. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Speaking of chronology, we see... Tej, he operates a garage and there's three racers there that are all set ready to go. Tej says, where's your fourth? They say, we don't have one, so rather than just starting the race with three, he says, can I call in a fourth as long as it's my guy, quote-unquote? They say, yep. And we're reintroduced to Brian O'Connor off-screen, once again played by Paul Walker. You don't see his face, They kind of build up a little bit his introduction where he gets in the car. Speaking of the cars, this blue tint he has in his fucking car, I guess... John Singleton must have been influenced by the Power Rangers because that's all I could think about when I see all these races. Because you got Suki, who has got a pink car. She's the pink ranger. Mm-hmm. You got Orange Julius. These are the character <laughs> names, by the way. I, I want to point this out. He's got the orange car, and then you got Slapjack, who drives the gold one, and Brian is the Blue Ranger. I know the first one's dumb. But this movie even cranks that up. It's like too fast also applies to everything the first one did with stupidity. We have to double it. So all these racers have a color associated with them. They're like the Power Rangers crossed with the fucking lantern
2: Corps. You know what? (laughs) I didn't even think about that. But you're right now that I think about it. Because Suki's even wearing all the pink for her car. Like She's Mm -hmm. all decked out. And I, I tell you, man, this movie, if I thought the first one was dumb, this one just takes it to a whole yeah where it's
3: like almost insulting in
2: certain parts mm-hmm. <laughs> it is yeah and we're getting to a few but <laughs> yeah I, I, i'll just say right off the bat though i dig suki yeah I, she's out yeah mm-hmm. oh, oh gosh she's smoking when she gets out in those thigh highs later wow oh, yeah. I thought they they could have done more with that I, I I can't believe I'm saying character, but they could have done more with her and they and they, and she's kind of just in and out of this film with not really doing much to do and I looked up this actress i apparently she's her parents are head of Benny hannas she's the heiress of <laughs> Benny and, oh really? yes, oh shit, you know she was a pretty big model at this time, mm-hmm. yeah, but she she's a heiress of to Benny Hanna, so she's got a hell of a lot of money in her pocket already, and she's a pretty big model around this time, so it was kind of cool to see what they do with her in this, but what they end up doing with her is hardly anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this movie continues the trend of the first one, where
0: if you're a woman, you're just eye candy. Yeah. And that applies to both her and Eva Mendez. But I also love how Suki, because she's Asian, they think she loves anime and oh, has yeah. like yep. manga <laughs> on her laptop inside the car. How racist can this movie get? Because they push all the buttons in this. Well, it oh, is a race yeah. movie. Oh, so true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's not forget the last movie had literal race wars. (laughs) (laughs) They should have called this Color Wars. Just hearing that again just fucking makes me laugh so much.
3: (laughs) Like, they had no idea that the the double connotation, but we talked about that last
0: time. So Brian officially enters into the race, offers to raise the stakes. One guy gives him shit, and... None of the other ones have any argument. They just said, all right, fine. $3,500 is, which that's a lot of money to keep on your person. You just have that handy just so someone's ready to offer more money to race. And all that money, like Alex said, is going to go to fixing their cars once they eat shit on the pavement. Yeah. But to Gareth's point, we get the race underway. And I think the actual races in this movie because we get this and we get a couple of other high speed chases later on. The editing's a lot crisper. I actually like... The influx of color that they use, I think it makes the scenes where they're actually in the driver's seat, it makes them a little bit more compelling because for the most part, they're just static shots of the actors behind a green screen. I could have done without the hyperspace bullshit when they turn on their nitrous because mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to light speed. But other than that, I think uh, Singleton shoots this opening pretty darn well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Says they're racing. Tej has enough influence to cause four people to break into a state-operated bridge toll center and literally raises the bridge. So this movie literally jumps the shark in the opening 10 minutes. <laughs> Again, I,
3: I, how did this make it? Yeah, they want the spectacle, a car jumping a bridge,
2: pretty spectacular, I guess, but it's just a, such a dumb choice. I kind of dug It, it was... It, mm-hmm. As it was happening, but now that I'm thinking about it, it is rather stupid. Yeah, I mean,
3: like, yeah, uh, Brian hits both of his Nas buttons and uh-huh. overtakes. I, f- I forget—is it Orange Julius or Slapjack or <laughs> I forget who it is? But he it's overtakes them like in the air, which is a pretty cool mm-hmm. shot. Just yeah. Like, yeah. again, just logically, it's just so fucking stupid.
0: Yeah, th- this is so hokey and outdated. I half expected Paul Walker to go. Now this is pod racing. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> So, Brian wins the race, but not before one of the other two guys crashes in a Pepsi commercial. Because this movie had to pay for itself somehow. I half expected them to, to say, this wreck is brought to you by Pepsi. Brian wins the race, and he catches eyes with this other hot woman, played by Eva Mendez, who we think is just there to be a racer. Brian tries to go and talk to her. But much like the first film, the cops are not huge proponents of street racing. And the chase is on, so everyone disperses. Brian gets in his car and tries to drive away, but not before he's taken out by a Lucius Fox patented EMP mine that the cop shoots on his freaking car. Do these things even exist?
2: I, w- I had the same question in my notes. I have no idea. <laughs> no clue.
0: Because you would think they would just lay out um, the spikes on the road, on the pavement, and mm-hmm. just blow his tires out. But I guess given the technological questions I have about this series in general and the shit we get later, this is kind of setting the trap. So uh, of all the shit I'm going to talk about in this movie, I don't want to get too bogged down in in an EMP blast that shuts down a car because, hey, let's not forget, in a James Bond movie, we had a GoldenEye satellite that wiped out everyone's technology. (laughs) So with that, Brian is arrested because, let's not forget, at the end of the first movie, he let Dom go. So he's pretty much a wanted fugitive. He does everything outside of just literally throwing his badge into the car as he walks away. But we also see the return of his old superior, is it Bilkins? I love how he walks in. And he's like, hey, O'Connor, what's up? Right after the other two guys are saying, hey, aren't you Brian O'Connor? And he's like, nope.
2: Yeah. Paul Walker. Let me get into that real quick. I can't believe what I'm about to say. And this pains me to say, I have no idea how the youngest director to have ever been nominated for an Oscar gets a worse performance out of Paul Walker than the director of Dragonheart. Paul Walker's awful in this movie. He was better last week. There are things in this movie that he does that acting choices you have to make that he just. I have never been so annoyed by a character than in this movie. I, I mean, am I wrong in that? Is he worse than he was no. last week? You totally nailed it. Yeah. You know,
0: I think we underestimated the charisma of Vin Diesel.
2: <laughs> I'm I telling so. you, I cannot believe I I miss Vin in this. But there are points when I do. Wait till we get to Tyrese.
0: <laughs> well, before we get to Tyrese, we get our big info dump about the quote-unquote story of this movie, which is insert 80s action movie here. We got a drug dealer... We got a cop going undercover once again, and we got a hot woman as his contact. Yeah. I'm not going to get, gonna get into the details too much because this movie, quite frankly, doesn't deserve a plot. This is the one retrospective where a plot analysis is kind of redundant. The fact that I'm saying all this shit is kind of a
2: waste of time.
3: Well, it's supposed to be such a simple mission, too, and they just make it so fucking convoluted for no reason
2: it's very convoluted i understand calling brian to race when he's been hiding out as long as he has Mm -hmm. but why are they sending this idiot to nab this drug lord after the quote-unquote great job he did of apprehending dom last film like it just makes no sense yeah he won't burn us again
0: yeah exactly He's he's as soon as he says hey i want my own partner they should be like no fuck you (laughs) You either do this or you go to prison. Exactly. But of course, uh-huh. the one way to get around it is to get the other FBI guy who's dumb as a sack of potatoes <laughs> and doesn't know
2: the car engine.
0: It's like, are all the FBI people just fucking morons?
2: Yep. I, I don't know. And, and I see James Remar here. And Alex, you and I kind of, we kind of bonded when we first met over the fact that Gans is like one of our favorite movie villains of all time. For oh, yeah, absolutely. Hours. Yep. Badass. Mm-hmm. I've always felt bad for this guy because he was supposed to be the Michael Bean role in Aliens and kind of missed out on that he got fired off that job the first mm-hmm. month into it and oh shit I like, know. That. I, I always want him to break out and then he's in this fucking role where all he's doing is yelling like that sergeant and loaded weapon that's all he does every time he's on screen and he's better than that like we've Absolutely. seen james remar yeah. in some really great roles and I'm, I'm a big fan
3: of the guy so i was um, I, for one i, I was surprised because I, I completely forgot that he was in this movie so i was excited and then it's like oh he's in too fast too furious that's right Can't let's not happy.
0: forget James Remar was also in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Okay, Uh, so I did forget that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he was also in, let's see, he was also in the Gus Van Zandt remake of Psycho. He was in Judge Dredd. Talented as he may be. I think he picks his scripts by dartboard sometimes.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is a big action movie, too. This is a blockbuster. 76 million? I mean, yeah, fucking take the job.
0: Yeah, and it's a thankless role. You play the asshole cop who has one mode, just yelling, be upset. So Brian's given a deal and a dossier that says, here's all the shit you did in L.A., which is code for Vin Diesel didn't want to be here. So here's the one reference we have to the first movie. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. It's sort of like, you know, in Thor Ragnarok, where there's that scene at the opening where this woman walks up to Thor and says, oh, I'm sorry, Gene dumped you. And that's code for Natalie Portman didn't want to come back for this. It's kind of like that. But, you know, I appreciate it's there. It's one piece of continuity because you have to explain why Brian's a fugitive. But, again, makes the cops look like idiots for even giving him a choice once you just send him right to prison. Why do you need this guy to go undercover? Mm -hmm. Because he sucked at it the first time.
2: Zero sense. Yeah.
0: Speaking of zero sense, we then cut to Thunderdome crossed with (laughs) American Gladiators. (laughs) Yeah. When, I you mean, said Zero,
3: when you said Zero Cents, I thought, is there another rapper in this movie that I didn't know about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Ludacris and Ja Rule. I don't think Tina Turner or 50 Cent would have been that far off. And let's be honest. If this franchise keeps growing the way it has, we're going to be in it at some point. The yeah. Binge oh, family be amazing. will be cast
3: members. Oh, that would be amazing.
0: <laughs> What's not uh, amazing is our introduction to Roman Pierce, played by the aforementioned Tyrese Gibson, who John Singleton had worked with previously on uh, Baby Boy. Baby Boy,
2: yeah.
0: Which I've never seen, so I, I can't really speak to it. Because I think that was the movie that was supposed to star Tupac before he died. Right, mm-hmm. I hear it's pretty good. I'll, I'll check it out. But this was my introduction to Tyrese. It wasn't the Transformers movies. Actually, it might have mm-hmm. been. Shit. So, Garrett, you and I have talked about Tyrese previously. I never thought Tyrese would get two mentions on the binge media aftertaste, but here we are. Uh, hell, we if we are. could cover two Brett Ratner movies, why not two Tyrese franchises? <laughs> yeah. So, boys. Franchise, he comes back? Uh, I shouldn't uh, open my
2: mouth. <laughs> I thought this was just one. <laughs> I, I thought this was a one shot deal. I did not remember. I do not remember anything about what I saw. No. Really. Oh, That's Alex, funny. this is going to be so fun. We'll be the rest great. Of these movies. So Tyrese, you know, I think I was the most complimentary of him of me, you, and Nate when we did those Transformers movies. I thought he was a likable presence the majority of the time, and I know for a fact that John Singleton encouraged improv and Tyrese took a full advantage of that. We'll see that a number of times in this movie. I wonder, and again, I know I'm pulling logic into a movie about fast cars, but what frat party then these two meet at to become buddies? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I don't understand their relationship. I don't understand how he blames him for being caught, but then Brian says that he's not, he wasn't the guy who did it, but yet he's a cop, so that makes him part of it. The whole relationship makes zero sense to
3: me. Yeah, we were, we were talking about a movie... Uh, for movie homework called she dies tomorrow. And one of the things that I liked about that script is that it felt like the characters had, they, they were like three dimensional characters in that they had brought their own baggage to, uh-huh. to the present time. They had relationships before it, it. It seems like an easy thing to do, but it's not. And I, I really liked it about that movie. This one is yeah. Cause cause there's a way to do it. There's a way to talk about events that have happened previously that affected the eras- the present day relationship here though it just it's confusing mm-hmm. it's like they talk in kind of like generalized terms and like oh you know i was caught because of you it's like it wasn't my fault and it's like guys what are we fucking talking can we just i know yeah can you guys talk about the actual issue because the way you're writing it now it doesn't make any fucking sense we're we're not keying into the details of what the conflict is and again i understand, I, I feel like this is going to be an ongoing thing where we're questioning these things and going I get it. It's a Fast and Furious movie. I get it. But, you know,
0: you got to judge everything based on a curve, although for the early portion of this franchise, probably going to be more like a straight line because I don't think there's a lot of highs or remarkable stuff. So it's not helped by the fact that there's also no flashback where we explicitly see what happened, because let's be honest, these guys are are young enough to where you could pass them off as college kids, just make them look a little bit younger. But mm-hmm. you said frat party, Garrett. I get the sense they were like childhood friends because they talk about playing football in the backyard and shit. Oh, yeah. I think they're like childhood friends because they both grew up in L.A. But yeah, so we're introduced to uh, Roman. He's in this. It's like a car demolition derby, basically, that this is not redneck country. We're told this is Miami. I would buy this more if this was like the deep south, mm-hmm. not, you know, hip Miami where there's fucking street races and shit. Wait
3: but he they're in california though aren't they i know the movie's set in miami but that scene where they're in the desert that's isn't that california doesn't he say something about barstow oh that's
0: right they do go back to barstow to get them right yeah yeah because god knows these movies are excellent geography
2: Yeah, (laughs) we need one of those indiana jones red lines as we go well there's so much driving in
0: these fucking movies they might as well have that i know
3: they ran out of budget guys they ran out of budget they couldn't couldn't afford the overlaying map with the red line and everything
0: so brian runs into roman after all these years and obviously there's some animosity between the two of them because roman goes is he a cop anymore goes nope and that gives him free reign to try to beat the fuck out of him but <laughs> yeah these guys fight like 10 year olds because oh they they throw one punch and then they start rolling around in the dirt this borders a homoerotic that's where i get the top gun influence where it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Did this movie make me gay like because <laughs> if you thought the first movie was a bromance this is also a bromance yeah with l- the literally with rolling the around fighting the that starts with The fighting in a relationship. (laughs) God, this this fight seems so bad.
2: Well, and and it's not helped by the the chief, I guess, is what is. I I don't know what Minkins is, is part of the police force. He's just sitting there, like drinking a soda, just watching the damn thing. Yeah. And he's just like, even he's annoying in this. And, and, you know, I didn't think he was bad in the last film, but now I'm annoyed by everybody on screen.
0: (laughs) And this, they had this drag out fight. Neither of them are bleeding. From the punches, Paul Walker still looks as pretty as he ever has. Oh, boy. So they quote-unquote patch things up. Roman's on parole. He says, hey, I need you to help me do some shit. And they'll take that ankle bracelet off you because he's under house arrest. And then they cut to his mobile home, which I think that's amusing. But the whole point of an ankle bracelet and house arrest is that you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why do you do that on someone who has a literal mobile home? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dumb fucks that wrote this. So we can't stay in one location too long. They transition back to Miami to get yet more information on our big bad of this movie, Discount Ben Affleck, Cole Hauser. Um, That's all I could think of when I see him. I'm like, you look like the bastard child
2: of the Affleck family. And And I don't just say that
0: because he was a dazed and confused.
2: Yeah another one from the John Singleton over he was in uh, higher learning so you know he, right. he has yeah, a history yeah, with yeah. this guy mm-hmm. I, but you know what I, I look at this guy and Matt last year you you me and Mike we reviewed the Bad Boys franchise. We made fun of that villain. This guy's like a discount version of that villain. He gets one scene, one interrogation scene with mm-hmm. the dude from Batman Begins, and that's pretty much it. He's a blasé villain, to say the least. That's the perfect
3: way to put it, Garrett. Is he's blasé. He's yeah. he, he doesn't really have any personality. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Cole Hauser, and it just shows here because there's nothing that this villain does to make him villainous. He's just yeah. a rich asshole.
0: Who tries exactly. to intimidate people with cigars? They say he's Argentinian, but this is the worst example of brown facing because the guy's yeah. hair jet black. Yeah, he's wearing Tony Montana clothing. It's pretty ridiculous. And this guy's got—he's got no accent the either. The only thing I've seen Cole Hauser in that I liked was he has a very small role in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right.
3: Because he didn't say and much. He's pretty good. He's—he's uh, <laughs> he's also
0: the, yeah, he's also the one of the mercenaries in Pitch Black. He was the, uh, actually he was right. the bad guy in Pitch Black. Yeah. Speaking of mm-hmm. Vin Diesel, stylistically, this movie is an '80s throwback in so many ways. The best '80s action movies are the ones that have strong villains. They're, they're cartoon know? characters. Yeah, you need a Hans Gruber mm-hmm. or even she... Getz from Forty Eight Hours.
3: Yeah, or fuck Bennett from Commando. That guy was—he <laughs> was a
2: great villain.
0: He wore leather, or Mr. Uh, Mr. Diplomatic Immunity from Lethal Weapons. Yes, I was, there I was just we about go. To say,
2: you know. Me and Alex have on the schedule later on this year. We're going to be doing the Lethal Weapon series, yes, sir. and those are cartoonish, but yet you know, I don't want to say plausible, but they're at least villains that you're kind of scared of for the main characters. This guy, you buy you're it, right, Alex? He's just he he's got zero threat.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're told they have to bring down Varone, who's this Argentinian drug lord, much like Johnny Train in the first film. They think he's money laundering and stealing shit, but they don't have any evidence, so they need these two to pose as drivers. We're also. Confirmed that we're introduced to Agent Fuentes, who was the Eva Mendez character we saw early on. She's revealed to be an undercover FBI agent. And I guess those kind of blouses are permitted for uh, (laughs) customs agents. Yeah, yeah. I buy Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist
2: more than I buy Eva Mendez as an undercover U.S. customs (laughs) agent. You know, you covered it at the beginning of this podcast, but I'll go ahead and say, I mean, this was her window, right? This was her window of fame Absolutely, was yeah. and, and then she she did ghostwriter and then that that pretty much ended that. But yeah, she's pretty bad in this. But you know what? I I am starting to realize something about this series where there's no real plausibility in it as long as you look good, you know? Yes. And and Eva Mendes, yeah, say what you want about her way to deliver a line, but she looks good. Kind of like Suki. Suki can't deliver a line to save her life, but once she gets out in those fucking high highs, you don't even think about it. Yeah, Eva Mendez is, oh boy. She's not the worst part of this movie, but she's pretty low on that pole. She doesn't help. No, she doesn't help. She's an accomplice, basically. She's not a good... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a witness <laughs> to the crime
3: scene. <laughs> Which is the the fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the crime
0: scene of the movie. So both Brian and Roman are at least given some agency. You know, their their records will get cleared if they do this. But they need tools for the job. So this is where Q comes in to give them their decked out, James Bond-esque confiscated cars. But rather than get American cars, they chose to get Mitsubishis because we have to make these movies appeal to international audiences too. Mm Mm-hmm. So they get in the cars. They drive to Verone's estate, where he's got a job set up for all these prospective ethnic stereotypes that are just waiting in his in his backyard. These two Hispanic goons might as well be—they're two seconds away from saying "cabron." Every other word, yeah, like that—that's how stereotypical these guys are. I really and think course, that
3: these two guys were just like—they were stunt guys. They're like, all right, just give them some lines. All
0: right, yeah, give, give them, them some give more them lines.
3: lines. All right, oh, give him God, more you lines. Know. You know, let's just put him in the whole fucking movie. Fuck, fuck <laughs> it. We got him, yeah, we got him out already.
0: So Maroon makes his introduction and tells them all that he has a job for them to do. They got to drive 20 miles out to pick up an envelope in his car. First one back makes his task force, I guess. They become his personal drivers. And here I thought this is what the movie was actually going to be about. This entire, like, <laughs> I thought they were going to make it's a mad, 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 mad world. But rather than 20 miles, it's like 500 miles. And the whole movie's a race. Yeah. And yeah to be honest, it, that probably would have been a better movie. It would have been a better movie. That doesn't sound bad.
3: Yeah. Give me a two fast two
2: back compared to what we got.
3: Give me a two fast, two furious cannonball run style
0: action
2: yeah. movie.
0: Let's fucking do it. Instead, we get a race where the cops in this movie are so dumb because they think, oh, they're making a run for it. When realistically, Eva Mendes would have told them, hey, Verone's gonna tell them to go do some shit. Hold off. Mm-hmm. I need to stress the importance of communication in the police force in these movies, because clearly the FBI and the regular police, they don't talk to each other because this is a problem that systemically traced back to the first one, too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So they get to there and Brian and Roman are the first ones there. They get the envelope, but not before Roman says, hey, check the center, even though Verone told them it was in the glove compartment, so this movie can't even keep consistent with its own logic and rules. Again, in the context of a Fast and Furious movie, I'm not asking for much. I'm just asking for the geographic location of a fucking envelope to be accurate. My standards are not not, high.
2: Yeah, and also not before Tyrese improvs and takes his shirt off just to knock that fucking window out. You know, Mm -hmm. you you kind of get a feeling that Tyrese kind of put that in his contract where I need to have a scene where I take my shirt off. And here we go.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Because the cops are morons, they show up to this, and Roman pulls out a gun and starts shooting at them. Just oh to keep my up.
2: god! <laughs> you didn't like that Garrett? That's jail time, right? It is jail time yeah. if you shoot at a cop. I'm just yeah, that's asking. attempted murder. That's attempted murder. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah of, a, of a police officer.
3: Not the first time we'll see attempted sh- we'll see attempted murder against police in this film.
1: Well,
0: speaking right. of dumb shit. I forgot to mention during the chase, a guy gets fucking crushed by an eighteen wheeler. And nobody stops on the highway. No. Mm-hmm. The truck driver doesn't stop. There's no traffic. They just keep going about their business.
3: You know, we we always use the, uh, or we're starting to use the the whole, eh, excuse isn't the right word, but saying, giving it the leeway of just being like, it's a Fast and the Furious movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we can say about that instance, Florida. We can just say, ah, fucking Florida. <laughs> you can hit a guy and you, like, you don't even have to stop.
0: Their cars must be super durable. Or he jumped out at the last minute, but <laughs> yeah. they use that old tr- that old 80s trope. Yeah. Uh-huh. There just happens to be a mattress on the side of the road that he hit at 80 miles an hour. So they get back to Varone's estate. He's pretty impressed. Although Roman, just to be an asshole, not only does he talk shit back to him, he takes his cigar lighter, or his cigar cutter, excuse me, because much like another movie that uh, we're going to be talking about very soon, Garrett, this is a movie where people don't do what they're explicitly told to do. And Rome's just going against stuff just because he's an asshole. Doesn't endear you to him, and it just makes Brian look even dumber for choosing this guy as his partner. Yeah. Oh, my God, this fucking movie. So after all that, they have another confrontation with the cops, and they kind of get into a scuffle say, as you would be, why did you shoot at me? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm an undercover I'm a cop. And, uh, of course, they're like, oh, it's my bad. That's the excuse. They, they try to pass off. But Brian gives them a bit of a pass by saying, hey, Varone is going to wander his money sometime in Miami before getting away on his jet. So a little bit later on, we're seeing that they cut back to Tej once again. Ludacris actually has quite a few scenes in this movie. I thought he was just in the opening scene from mm-hmm. memory. Um, but he's actually in this quite a bit because we see that he also organizes jet ski races or jet ski demolition derbies. This movie's got a real obsession of vehicular property. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we find out here that Brian has actually been sleeping in Tej's garage, so that's how they they know each other, and he gives Roman a place to stay for the night while they get work done in their cars, and it's revealed that the cars have GPS tracers inside of them, which is the most obvious thing you can expect, even Mm -hmm. though it's already been revealed because we see the FBI track. Mm -hmm. Too fast, too redundant. And that's not a line that Tyrese says in this movie, even though it very well could be. With the amount of one-liners he gets in this movie, I half expected him to do the thing of saying the title of the movie in the movie. Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) Alex's favorite thing. Oh, I love that. It's my favorite thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Brian and Roman, they need some additional cars to get this operation done. So they run into a pair of guys that they previously met the night before because they lit his car on fire by pretending to be washing his car. So again, more destruction of cars.
2: Yeah, yeah, they lit that on fire. That was weird.
0: We get a neat little callback here to the first one because they wager the pink slips on the cars for the races. And again, we got another pretty good street race here where they call it tag team style. Like, I was like, oh my God, they're going to set up a ring? Is this going to become over the top? What's going to (laughs) happen?
2: Matt, before you move on, I don't know if you've gotten to this scene or not, but I want to talk about it real quick. I'm pretty sure you passed it up. I doubt I will hate a scene in this series more than the one of Brian driving and having a staring contest with Eva Mendez. I did skip over that. Oh (laughs) my God. You're so fucking right. I actually had to turn my TV off and regain my composure because I was this close to throwing my remote at the screen. I mean, I hate fucking assholes like this. So bad. Yeah, they even
0: call it out too, because then Roman pulls up along the side. He's like, let me guess, he did the stare at you while driving fast. Yeah, like like, it's a movie done multiple times.
3: It's a known thing. He's synonymous with looking at his passenger in the eyes while he's shifting gears and
2: going really fast. That's his thing. (laughs) I don't know if this makes him cool. This guy is just such an asshole in this movie. And and last time I didn't really like Paul Walker last week. But at least they tried to give him a little bit of something where they tried making this relationship with him and Dom's sister and will they, will they not. Mm-hmm. You know, they they tried giving him a little bit of levity, but here everything's redundant. Everything's just so passe to him. And this just fucking it enraged me. Yeah, that's a good call.
0: Yeah, it, it's really cringeworthy. Because we know she's probably not never going to come back. Yeah. So, like, why are we trying to set the two of them up? Mm-hmm. So if yeah, they get the cars... So now they got some classic American muscle, and they tell Tej, hey, put some work into it for something that we'll see later on. More on that later. So they focus now on getting closer to Varone, because this is another 80s cliche when you're undercover. You got to get to know, you got to literally sleep with the enemy, which Eva Mendez has done for 11 months, and they have no hard evidence. After a year of her being there, they don't have a single piece of evidence. What makes you think these two dipshits are going to get anything? Are they going to fuck him?
2: Matt, it puts me in mind, you and me and Pete covered Mission Impossible a few years ago. And during Mission Impossible 2, we were upset that that chick couldn't get any information after two days. <laughs> this chick's here for almost a year. And there's zero information flooding out of this fucking operation.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned Mission Impossible 2, because that's the movie this reminds me of the most. Ooh. Where it's cranked up to 11. There's no subtlety. God, there's a stereotypical villain in that. Yeah. Um and he's played almost exactly the same. Like, DeGray Scott is just as charismatic as Cole Hauser, for whatever that's worth. But they go to his nightclub, and he's kind of giving them a pass around. He says, don't touch my girl, or I'll kill you. Another retread from the first one. And then, as you mentioned, Garrett, we see the cop from Batman Begins, who was also a memento. Yep. So, a Christopher Nolan regular shows up in Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> That's the tie-in.
3: Oh, okay, got it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah th- this is the. I mean, Paul Walker does have the same bleach as Guy Pierce does in Memento. Maybe this was an entire deleted after he killed Joey Vance. This is what he did afterwards, and he doesn't remember
2: it. Hey, makes more sense than what we got. Oh my god, a Christopher Nolan Fast and Furious movie? Could you imagine? But uh getting back to the scene, you know what? I kind of like this. They take this rat. And they put it in this bucket and he geeks this bucket to the point where the rat's gonna dig in. I think that's kinda cringy. Like it's kinda like, ooh, in a good way. I wanted more of this kind of stuff. I wanted more stuff of this villain actually doing stuff. And and this was this was kinda like, wow, this is pretty evil thing to do if you're gonna go through with it. But I mean, of course they tease it. It's PG thirteen, you're not gonna see this rat go into the stomach. But just the idea of it kind of it kinda made me uh squirm a little bit. Yeah, it's like, oh shit, this guy's dangerous. He actually is. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, we're actually seeing them do something. Although I will say, Garrett, if you want to see the full version of this scene, they do this in Sinister too, where yeah. like one of the the home footage tapes is literally this scene where they put rats on people's stomachs, put a bucket, and eventually they eat their way through. So if yeah. you want to see the R-rated this scene to its cringiest potential, watch that piece of shit. Yeah, it was in a Game of Thrones
3: episode too. That oh, torture technique, it? yeah.
0: God, look what Too Fast, Too Furious spawned. It started a trend.
3: Who knew? We are ready to <laughs> shit on this movie, and it, it turns out it's a great source of inspiration for TV shows and movies alike.
0: <laughs> so after some contemplation, he agrees to give Varoon 15 minutes. So they have a window that he keeps telling them that they're going to have. Um, so the next morning, Monica shows up at Brian's boat, I guess, because I thought he lived in the garage. Yeah, that wasn't completely clear to me either. I don't understand that. Like, again, I know I'm nitpicking, but this movie has no internal logic. And I know I'm saying that about a Fast and Furious movie, but still. And, of course, the two guys show up thinking she's snooping around, which she is. She tells them they're going to be killed as soon as they make the money, which, again, these two are fucking morons. You should have seen this coming, too. Mm -hmm. Why did you need her to tell you this? Because I'm pretty sure he'd have some kind of contingency plan. So... Enrique and Roberto show up and they search the boat and they find nothing. So they take him back to Verone's. So this is where we get the big reveal where the mission is they're going to transport money to his airfield so, so we can take it and leave. So effectively he's just taking his money running, right? hmm Oh God. I can explain this movie's plot in five minutes. <laughs> like, like there, there's no big twists. There's nothing you can't see coming, but for the last 30 minutes or so, it's entirely action. They throw the story out the window, and once Brian Roman, once they get with these two guys, the movie becomes less concerned about plotting, and they say, "Fuck it, we're gonna have fun." And I gotta say that this scene right here, when they first leave and Roman starts the car, it drives it to the other cop cars. I think that's that's pretty humorous, although it's a waste of time.
2: I just hate that John Singleton has the reins to this franchise. And we understand. We didn't really know that it was going to go more than two movies at this point. But I thought maybe he could at least rein it in a little bit. I thought maybe he could just take this script that these two guys just pretty much shit out on a weekend, it seems like, mm-hmm. and twist it to the where I'm not looking for plausibility. I'm just looking for a way where it just kind of makes sense. And even John Singleton here, he's at this point of his career where he loved, he liked the fat, the first one. And he's trying to make homage to the first one. But he's not bringing anything really new to it that Mm -hmm. I like. You know, everything new that he's bringing to it, I despise. And I didn't really enjoy the first one. So the fact that the stuff from the first one is making its way into this and is probably the only part of this that makes it any way decent is really just frightening.
0: So one thing of the bags from the wall of this spot. We also intercut to the cop once again, who was debating whether or not he's going to give them the window, but in a not so subtle moment, they cut to a picture of his family and <laughs> he says, I got to do it <laughs> because this movie has to spell everything out for you by running it down your fucking throat. Yep. So once they get on the road, we get, this is where the movie becomes grand theft auto, basically where they got a five-star yeah. rating. They're being tracked by like 50 fucking cop cars These two guys can outdrive all of them, which, you know, I think they do pretty decently. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These cars are pretty well equipped. They can, you know, they know how to weave in and out of traffic. But it's hard to root for these guys when they stack up such a body count the way they do. It's sort of the John McClane problem with the later Die Hard movies where he gives no fucks about collateral damage, Mm -hmm. like especially that fourth one. So yeah, like these guys are anti-heroes, but they're technically the protagonists. And I never feel like Brian's made out to be a criminal. He always feels like he's still the good guy. I, I never, buy this turn, he's really going to go on the run for good.
2: James Remar has that mentality of, yeah, this guy, he's just out to get us. You know, he's 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 no good. We need to rein him in there, Minkins. rein him in. And he's just, he, again, like I said earlier, he's off screen yelling the entire fucking time. And... I agree with you, Matt. There's no real dimensions to this character whatsoever. I never think he's gonna "quote unquote" go bad. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I
3: think it's a combination of bad writing for the character and just bad acting.
1: Yeah, it,
0: it makes you wonder: would this movie have been better suited if Brian was not in it at all? Yeah. You made this like an anthology series almost, where mm-hmm. they're all about cars, but it's all different characters. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, we'll explore that next week. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I guess we could talk about whether or not that yeah, works or not. But... Yeah,
3: I mean. It's definitely doable because they then go ahead and do that, introduce mm-hmm. new characters.
0: So they lead them on a high-speed chase. Once again, they tease you with the EMP blast on the car. But Paul Walker, I have to call him Paul Walker because I stopped calling him yeah. Brian in this movie because he doesn't feel like a character. <laughs> At least in the first film, I call him Brian all the time because there's actual yeah, yeah. characterization yeah. in that movie. Yeah. He tells him, take the wheel. And he literally gets on the side of the car to pull the mine out with his bare hands. I guess he's got super strength. Uh Because that thing's got to be in there pretty damn deep. So after this high speed chase, they take an exit and they wind up at a warehouse and they're seemingly cornered with 50 something cop cars ready to arrest them all. And in a scene that makes me laugh uncontrollably every single time I watch it, the floodgates open (laughs) and street racers galore. It is hundreds of cars of illegal street racers showing up to fight the power. Yeah, it, it is. It is so ridiculous that you cannot help but just burst out laughing when it happens, because we've only seen five, maybe 10 street racers. Where the fuck did Tej get all these people from?
2: I could not believe. That. Oh,
3: he's locked into the scene down there, man. He's uh... <laughs> I think that Brian says that it's or Paul Walker says that at some point. I'm going to go with your <laughs> Paul Walker thing. <laughs> he says that at some point. He's like, yeah, Taj is uh Or Tej is you know, he's he's the guy to know because he knows everybody. He has got he's got his hands in a bunch of different pots. And that includes this network of drivers who then go on to uh attempt to murder a whole police force with their fucking yeah. view, with their <laughs> yeah. vehicles. And
2: why
0: are why are they doing this exactly? Like I'm not sure if you get caught you're going to jail. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's a hell of a visual. I'll go ahead and say when they when he has yeah. that, that overhead shot and all the cars come out, it's quite a visual feast. Now, are all these hundreds of drivers going to come back in the series too, or am I, <laughs> no, am I reaching a little too much with that? I guess I keep
3: my mouth shut because, like
0: I said, I don't I don't want to reveal everything.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And what's that yeah. a, What's that APB like when they send that out? The dispatcher <laughs> sends out that APB. Be on the lookout for a hundred sports cars and trucks that just try to kill our entire police force. All right. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take a peek.
0: So once the uh, once the swarm is unleashed, we see that Brian and Roman are eventually caught by the police. But they get out of the cars and it's revealed to be Tej and Suki. So we we've had a big switch. And one of the hardest jokes, ironically, that I laugh at is when they cut to Tej being written up. and you see the cop filling this entire notepad of violations, he's like, yeah, you you owe me big time. And then Suki's like, no, you owe us big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that's one of the actually really better gags in the movie. So once the escape is revealed, we see that Brian is approaching the destination, but Enrique tells him to take the exit instead of the airfield. So here's where the, I don't know if you want to call it the bait-and-switch happens, because Roman drives away to the end point, and he realizes that Brian's not there. So we assume Brian is going to be killed off unless you look at the title of this movie and realize they're not going to kill off the main star. So this entire section has no suspense because we know he's not going to die. Mm -hmm. And it's all like cliched preamble where it's, Take him over there and waste him. Don't just shoot him directly (laughs) in front of him.
3: Now, that's good writing. I like that. That's a good dialogue right there. That's like,
0: I love that kind of 80s throwback. So do I. That's the kind of stuff I like.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: But one thing that those 80s action movies also had was most of them were very tongue-in-cheek in in the right. I know you guys will talk about this with Lethal Weapon. But the problem with this movie is that it it tries to be that, but it's so slick. There's no sense of a threat or, or danger in this entire movie outside of that one scene that we talked about earlier. You never feel like these guys have to overcome a whole lot of obstacles.
2: Yeah, they're just going from one race yeah. to another. And fuck plausibility. We're, we're not even going to go there. We had this cop on the run, but yet he's commissioning someone to get hundreds and hundreds of racers to fucking go after a fucking police force. These movies do not have a high bar to clear with me. They really don't. I mean, I'm not looking at this from Matt. You and I did Michael Mann a few years ago. I'm not looking at it as like a huge high quality bar to jump here. But they're not even getting close to it. All I want, I want some decent car scenes. Okay, I got that in the beginning. And I want a little bit in this movie that makes sense. And I'm not getting any of that in this movie. And I cannot believe I'm like saying this. I'm at a worse point at this point in this movie. Than I was last week at the first movie, but I really am like, well, God damn, John Singleton, could you have done something worse than this movie? Uh, yes, one word abduction, his last movie. Oh, that's right. Oh.
0: And, and two more words, four brothers. <laughs> I would rather watch this than that. I'll throw that out there. So oh. Brian's taken to be driven away and shot. Varone takes. Eva Mendez, I'm just gonna call them by their real names. Fuck Yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I love
0: it. Cause she's not playing a character either. Like No,
3: no, absolutely not.
0: My golf swing has better range than she does. Like <laughs> so Brian tries to use his ejector seat, which Roman successfully used earlier with the ejector seat cuz when he shoots the guy Egypto off the top. <laughs> oh, <laughs> But that follows the A-team rule where even though he got shot out at 100 miles an hour, he landed in water, so he's okay. (laughs) I'm like, that's not how water works, people. No, not at all. all. (laughs) Speaking of waterworks. If you thought jumping a bridge was too far. Brian successfully is rescued by Roman. They beat the shit out of the other guy. They get in the car and they're driving, but Varone's yacht has already gotten away. So they're like, what are we going to do? Brian says, I have an idea. You see the uh, the accelerator slowly amping up more and more. And they literally jump their car from a gate ramp onto the top of this yacht. Yeah, they do. Is it bad that
2: I kind of like that?
0: No, I thought this was hysterical.
2: No, it's hilarious. And, and I was... the fact I had in my notes, it's going to be, yee it's going to be the Dukes of Hazard, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not even going to call that out. But they do call it out. And I thought that was kind of clever, actually, when Tyrese is like, you're not going to do any Dukes of Hazard shit, are you? And yeah. they end up doing it. I thought that was kind of cool. This is the kind of stuff that I look for in this series, really. For sure. Um, I thought it was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, th- this is the kind of absurdity I like. Yeah, absolutely. God, this is like a cakewalk compared to some of the shit they do later.
3: Yeah, you know, I was just thinking. It's it's kind of nonsensical with a purpose, though. It's it's for something. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's literally a, their last option. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. It's the only Where, thing
0: they have left to do.
3: Whereas a lot of the other problems that we have with the script, I guess, or as a whole, is just logistically and logically kind of making uh, some kind of narrative, which obviously they don't really do, but... You know the this <laughs> this jump is it's one it's hilarious too th- this is the kind of shit we expect mm-hmm. and and like yeah you you do kind of expect a subpar script cheesy dialogue and all that but there's i don't want to say that there's an art to that <laughs> because there's definitely not but there's a way to do it where you're selling it to the audience and i, I think it's just failing in the sales pitch as it were
2: well Michael Bay has made a whole career out of doing. So there is a way to do it successfully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two Um, words, James
0: Bond. mm -hmm. Like, especially if this was a Bond movie, this would be like the lesser of the Roger Moore era. Mm.
3: Um,
0: I'm not going to put this on the level of something like Vito a Kill, but this kind of reminds me of Moonraker, where it's like, I, I get what you're doing, but you're just not funny with the jokes you're trying to make. And there's not quite enough menace or substance to keep me engaged. Unlike the first film, though, where they just kill the villain and are done with it, he gets arrested. They just hold him at gunpoint, and he gets arrested with the don't drop the soap wine. I thought that was actually pretty funny, Mm because Roman's been in prison, so he would know if that's actually a thing or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a fun fan theory, because God knows this movie is just chock full of fun and brain stimulants. So the first film, they kill off the villain. This one, they don't. I hope once we get to Fast 10... All the surviving villains, we do like the Sinister Six,
2: and they all just team up. Don't give them any ideas. Kind of like our podcast has already done shit like this, where we (laughs) release something and then, like a year and then six months later, they say that we're working on a remake. Don't fucking pull that shit, Matt, because that's what they'll fucking do.
0: (laughs) But you know, spoiler alert: the first one I think is the only one where they kill off the villain. Not not to jump too far ahead, but don't be surprised if he comes back. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, this ending feels like a. It's almost like an NCIS or CSI episode where it's, hey, great job, guys. Your your yeah, records are clean. you you arrested so right. the bad guy. It's not mm-hmm. fun, and it doesn't really leave you wanting more. Yeah, they're all like, – p- It just feels like, all right, that that was it.
3: Yeah, like Remar and every all the other cops are, like, congratulating Brian and yeah. Roman and, like, shaking their hands. Like, they're fucking <laughs> – it's like, no, you were going to go to jail, gave you a way to – like, we're not – this probably would have got done anyway. Yeah. If it didn't, like, who cares, but – but you're, you're totally it's right. I, I like that it kind of, it ends like a formulaic cop procedural show.
0: Yeah. It's like Magna P.I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it almost ends like that because we see that Roman has kept some of the money, says our pockets ain't empty, cuz. And they say they're going to open a garage that they're going to use on a damn near freeze frame as we get the aforementioned end credits that look like they were from Need for Speed Underground. <laughs> so bad. Uh, really the credits... Bad. Thankfully, mercifully roll on Too Fast, Too Furious. So I got to find my seatbelt extender. Hang on, because I I have a feeling Garrett's going to go over the speed limit on this. (laughs) So, Garrett, I'm going to kick my seat back and just let you go. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Too Fast, Too Furious?
2: Look, what was good in this movie? I enjoyed the opening race. And have I mentioned the thigh highs yet? No. No. Okay. <laughs> well, those were a pretty big highlight for me too. Look, the thing I have in my notes, you guys have already negated, where my review was going to include this Matt, you and I did Nightmare on Elm Street at the end of last year. This reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 where we get all these characters who were pretty much never going to see again and they go through their own little adventure, but yet you guys are telling me that's a couple at least one of these characters comes back later. So, like it just puts mm-hmm. those notes to bed. Look, I, I, again, not a high bar here. I, I'm not looking for anything other than a fun time, and whether or not any of it makes a hint of sense, I just want a hint. I know I'm the I'm kind of the snob of this site, so I'm trying to put this in perspective. As am I going to have a good time? I did not have a good time watching this movie. The first one can really be B, maybe C-grade action film. This is Z. This is way on the bottom. There's no real fun to be had here. It's a jumbled mess. The villain is not even a villain, really. Brian, you talk about a character I despise. They're going to have to work really hard in the next few movies. I I don't think he comes back next week, but in the future movies, to make me like this guy at all. So... God, with nothing to grasp onto, I gave last week's a four. This better be the lowest. Uh, too Fast, Too Furious gets a two. Two out of ten.
0: Too Fast, Too Furious, two for my co-host. Alex, <laughs> yep. I have a feeling you're not going to be that low, but I can't imagine you're especially positive in this movie. But, hey, I've been proven wrong before. Hell, they've made ten of these fucking movies. So right. That's yeah. the point right there. So. Floor is yours, sir. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh,
3: this is not an enjoyable movie. You know, coming off the first film, which was pretty fun. You know, it has its issues, but you know, it it, it kind of sets the standard for what the franchise should be. And this just it, it doesn't hit the mark. I think there's bad movies. There are bad movies that might not be your flavor of bad. And then there's like bad movies that you absolutely enjoy. That is your flavor. That's your brand of bad. This is just a bad movie. I mean, this, it it doesn't, I can't even say that it's not even my brand of bad. It's just bad. The entire franchise is my idea of fun, but I know what it is. You know, these are kind of dumb movies, but I like them. I like the spectacle of it all. Uh, so that's my brand of bad movie. This is it. just the dialogue is bad and not funny. I know this is set in Miami and everybody looks to be having a good time, but they're not really having a good time. I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe, as one Axel Foley would say. I'm not falling for the fact that this movie's fun because it's just not. There's nothing fun about it. So I got to give it. I'm not going to go as low as a two, but I can't give it any more than a four on ten. Classic
0: GC. There it is. So we got we got a two and a four. So I call this movie the. I'm sorry, man. I,
3: I sorry, man. I, I have to give it a three. I, I it's a fucking three. I I can't give it a four. There, there's just not enough for me that I like about it. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: All right. Well, it's all right. Much like this franchise, we're full of retroactive bullshit on this show. So <laughs> absolutely. Got to make it fit right in. So I compare this movie to like. In the context of the franchise, it is the hormone-filled, pubescent teenager of this series, where the father figure, Vin Diesel, is gone, and you're left with a teenager in Paul Walker, who doesn't want to do what he's been told to do. And unfortunately, he may have all the passion in the world, but he's just lifeless in this movie. And as a result, the movie feels more like a spinoff than like an actual progression Mm. of story. Mm -hmm. And In the context, you need this movie to understand Roman and Brian's relationship, so you can't erase it from this franchise but the miami aesthetic they don't really have fun with it like they do in the bad boys movies which holy crap bad boys 2 is my kind of bad bombastic blockbuster that came out this year of all things 2003 so i think that's the good version of this and and Garrett's right i love so many bad movies if you look at my collection upstairs i have so many movies that most people classify as trash but one man's trash is another man's treasure this is just crap Mm -hmm. every movie's got some fun and i'd be lying if i said there aren't moments in this movie that i really enjoy like listening to luda give hammy one-liners is always a good time i think the street races in this are actually better than the first one but when i think about what i love about this series and what i will love about the series later on it doesn't really check a whole lot of those boxes so is this one of the worst films we've reviewed on the aftertaste garrett no not even close but with that said, I'm not going to say if it's the worst film in the franchise, but it's 1A and 1B with another one. And I go back and forth on which, so I'm going to land on a 4. I'll be the most generous uh, of of the three of us because we got a 2, we got a 3, and we got a 4. So, and I don't think it's hateable. I don't get angry watching these movies, like even the the lesser ones and this one in particular like a lot of people call this the black sheep. I think it's more like a very 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 light gray sheep. To quote Red Letter Media, where it's like, I don't think it's the worst thing on God's green earth. But if I was doing a marathon, I don't feel compelled to watch this one. So, yeah, four on ten for me.
2: You're saying there's nothing to hate in this movie? You don't hate the scene where he's doing a staring contest? You don't hate that scene?
0: <laughs> I laugh at it.
2: Like, oh. I can't bring myself to hate at
0: it. To, to hate it. Because if he... Try, I'm trying to think of a, a way that I would hate it. You know, in... Speaking of Michael Bay, the Ghetto Bots.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Th- there's
0: nothing like that in this movie. Um, mut, although mut- there, there's just as many stereotypes. Mud flapping skids. Yep. Yeah, but they don't they don't go that far. And like there's no giant balls in, in this movie on a robot. There's none of those moments that make me just want to, you know, slit my wrists or, or lock okay. myself in an oven and close the door. But yeah, this is not a good movie. And for okay. for this series, this is not a good one. Speaking of spin-offs though, I mentioned this movie feels like a spin-off. Well, the next home in this series was literally a spin-off because not only does it not have a three in it. It just has Fast and the Furious sub-colon Tokyo Drift. It's the, technically the third movie just by default, mm-hmm. but it had neither Vin Diesel or Paul Walker in it. So, boys, I'm going to go to Garrett second. So, Alex, when you heard there was going to be a spinoff Fast and Furious, what were your expectations going in?
3: I wasn't excited about it. Just because I had such a bad time with this one, the Too Fast, Too Furious. So I'm like, all right, so this is just... I didn't know if this suffered just from bad sequel-itis. You know, it's never just going to live up to that first one. That the first one was amazing or anything, but it was a good time. So I wasn't really looking forward to this, especially around this time. Watching... and Garrett knows this. Watching the third movie in a series was never really my thing. Because I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm over it. Like, I, I got it. I don't need to keep on watching the, I, it. I just wasn't a huge fan of franchises at that point. So seeing a third in a franchise was, I mean, I didn't even see Back to the Future 3 until maybe about mm, six years ago, seven years ago.
2: Yeah, right when Binge started.
3: Yeah, something like that. So yeah, I I wasn't all that excited about it. And it it took me a while to finally watch Tokyo Drift. And I think I've only seen it once. And maybe, you know, just in passing on cable or whatever, just randomly here and there. But uh, yeah, not too excited for it. And then, you know, it took a while
0: to finally watch it too. So so Garrett, we're two movies in and you already sound like you're ready to, you're in the ankle lock and you're ready to just tap out. Do you have any even semblance of morbid curiosity going into Tokyo Drift? Any optimism with being a spinoff or anything like that?
2: You know what? Yeah. I'm encouraged that Paul Walker's not coming back. I'm encouraged that Vin Diesel's not coming back. Let's take this series. Let's do something different with it. Like Alex, I didn't see it till later, probably probably much later than him the only time i watched it was in 2015 like i said only seen it once but i am encouraged that we're going to have a whole new set of characters let's see if we can do something different with this franchise and i'll keep repeating it over and over the bar's not high can they clear it next week i don't know but i am encouraged that we're not going to have any of the characters we had this week or last week Mm -hmm. and we're getting something completely new let's see what they can do with it
0: Well, it's also not a very high bar because, you know, the Japanese are typically very short. So they don't really have a high bar to cross. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) I think after the second movie, a course correction and a reboot was the best thing they could have done. Rather than tripling down or trying to crowbar away to force Vin Diesel to come back. Mm -hmm. I think taking it in a new direction. And making a movie entirely about the street racing, I think that was the right way to go about. And they brought in a third director who we'll talk about next week, Justin Lin, a you know, whole new cast. So I, I think there was a lot, quote unquote, writing on this movie. And We'll talk about whether or not the film actually panned out. And I promise the plot description for that film will be more compelling than the one for this one. Because my notes for this one, everyone, was literally three pages of notes
2: <laughs> <laughs> describing the
0: plot of this movie. Because there's hardly any.
2: I thought Lynn didn't come until four, so next week will be his first one, huh? Okay. Yep. Justin
0: Lynn will be to this series what David Gates was to Harry Potter, where he kind of took it over and sort of turned it into what it became. Uh Did he do that on the first shot, though? We'll have that conversation next week. Boys, I want to thank you, especially Garrett, for being on this journey, (laughs) because those zip ties are going to break eventually, Alex, and we're going to have to (laughs) stop at a gas station and get some more.
2: You know what, I'll go ahead and say this, you know, sure, like I said, you and I did Bad Boys with Mike and towards the end of that I said, Mike, did you have a good time with this? He goes, I enjoy talking about these films with you guys. <laughs> and that's the way I'm, I'm feeling. It's like, well, the movie watching was, you know, it's not exactly the funnest I have, but I I love talking about them with you guys. I'm having a really good time doing this series. But Yeah, Matt, Alex, the three of us will have words after we're done recording. Making me do this.
0: (laughs) Well, don't don't thank us yet. We got eight movies to go. So you got three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Hobbs and Shaw and nine. So that's yeah, that's eight right there. So we're getting there. But we're gonna take a pit stop till next week, everyone. So thank you, listeners. Once again, you guys really like the content you're listening to. Be sure to check us out on Patreon. For just $5 a month to get all kinds of exclusive content that only you humble listeners will have the chance to listen, including everything from the full binge cast to some movie homeworks to uh, our new show, The Docket, which started a couple of weeks ago, which is basically two hosts talking about a movie that one of them has seen amongst the three. So if you like the site, if you really like the site, be sure to give us a uh, five bucks over there because it does help us out. So thank you all for the you do. And boys, until next time when we talk about Tokyo Drift, I live my life a quarter of a podcast at a time. Thank you guys. All right, bro.
1: We hit the room, me and my crew, and it was cool until we bumped into you. Now, it's which one of these things is a dollar? It says something about. Back in ancient times, I want to know about those replacement hips. Is that a swatch watch? you know what time it is? Does he run deep enough? The Binge Aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. Oh, tell me,
3: baby, does he run deep enough? Tell me, tell me, does he run deep enough? Does he run deep enough
1: for you? It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Right, I'm right, I'm right, Winning's right. winning. Get a paw fool. Hope you scar. Hold on, we push it my butt as you start on my car. Fresh
3: and
2: make it down, and pressure make me a soul. Got a method to my man's to bring me down out of boat.
1: People always ask me how I
2: got this for my respect. i have a tuna. No
1: crust. no crust. No crust. So now we got cars flying in the air on some 007 type shit. This is not what we do. narration done by Adam
2: you don't turn your back on
1: family family. even when they do edited by Garrett you know what DK stands for Donkey Kong Drift King. That could have been my forehead, man. No, that's not as big as your forehead. I used to say I lived my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because
2: you did too.
0: in Mexico. So, how did he get from Mexico
2: to Miami? Yeah, can you say that again, Matt? You kind of cut out there a little bit. Or was that just me?
0: What, what do you, yeah, what I, you I, want me I, to say again?
2: The, the beginning okay. of that. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah you cut the out. beginning of that, it yeah. kind of got lost
3: there
0: okay. a, little, a little bit. Sorry. Uh, you, the biggest thing they would have to change is...
3: You know, you just mentioned Lord of the Rings with uh, the CGI with Gollum and just how... what. It, um sorry, not what well, not what a,
2: but, but just how they how they they sh- they shot the film. I've never been so annoyed by a character than in this movie and he is awful in this movie. <sighs> the mic
0: drop cuz Alex and I are just silent.
2: i I thought maybe my internet cut out no no i just i i not i wanted to say anything
0: against these movies i thought you were going to keep going (laughs) i just no no i literally i I, for this retrospective everyone by the way i installed a seat belt on my office chair so i can just sit back (laughs) and relax what garrett unleashes So they give Brian a choice oh. where it's either you can do hold the hold job or apprehend it. Hold on a second. Apprehend- on a second. Yeah, I, did you
3: see the message from Garrett? He said the, his PC died. So, <laughs>
0: no, I, I didn't.
3: Yeah, it says uh, give me a few minutes to reboot.
0: Are you you're recording, right?
3: Yeah. Okay,
0: good.
3: Uh, let me just pause it right here.
0: Maybe this was an entire deleted after he killed Joey Pants. This is what he did afterwards, and he doesn't remember it. Hey, makes more sense than what we got. Oh, my God, a Christopher Nolan Fast and Furious movie, could you imagine? I'd there was rather an die. interview a
2: few years ago where he did say he kind of liked those movies. I, re- I seem to remember that article. Uh,
0: Nolan, wow. you earned my respect. I imagine him, like, because we always see Nolan sidebar as this movie. Mm-hmm. I always picture Christopher Nolan, you know, he's always in pristine suits, and he's uh-huh. pretty well coiffed. I imagine when he gets home. He's got, like, Larry the Cable Guy, like, shirtless. <laughs> he, he rips the sleeve off the of suits, puts out a pair of jeans, and <laughs> and just sits on his, his couch and binges NASCAR all day. <laughs> like, I think it's all, like Batman, it's all a facade. Yeah. But uh, getting back to the scene, I... Why did you need her to tell you this? Because I'm pretty sure he'd have some kind of contingency plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> And Roman starts the car. It drives it into the other cop cars. I think that's that's pretty humorous. Although it's a waste of time. This, this movie's so bad, it's causing awkward silence on the airwaves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like we don't even know you what know, to say about it. I you know. It, it, it's just it. Like. Um...
0: And boys, until next time, when we talk about Tokyo Drift, I live my life a quarter of a podcast
2: at a time. Thank you guys. All right, bro. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Enough pause till next week. All right. Um <laughs>
3: You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook,
2: and Instagram. And don't forget... Shut
1: up! I'm waiting.